for those of you who are new with us, we're in a, we're in a sermon series in the book of Acts. And uh, uh, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, uh, which I don't think it's going to be on the screen this morning. I'm, uh, we're training people on the fly here uh, for a little while, and then we'll do some kind of big organized training on all of the audiovisual stuff. Uh, but we've been spoiled by Mac Miller, but he is back in Chicago this morning at college. So, so uh, uh, we're, uh, we're without uh, the sermon on the screen, or the uh, text on the screen this morning. So, so you might want to turn there in your pew Bibles. We'll be in uh, Acts uh, chapter 8. Last week, we saw the beginning of the hardship for the early church like it's starting to get tricky now like everything has kind of been sailing along pretty well and their numbers are growing and a few people have landed in prison but but God has kind of worked or or they've been faithful in that and they've been released and 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 all has been pretty simple for them and thousands and thousands have, have turned their life over to Jesus but last week it started to get hard the the, the early persecution began uh, and, and it starts with the murder of Stephen. So we talked about uh, Stephen for the last two Sundays, uh, in fact, which, which that event serves to scatter the church out of Jerusalem. Now, they, they were supposed to do that from the very beginning, and they were kind of hunkering down in the safety of Jerusalem, but now, it, actually, persecution is what has driven them to their, their calling in the first place anyway. And they're moving out into Judea, and especially here today uh, in Samaria. And so the ministry starts to happen in all these places. And the first evangelist that's gonna, that we're going to read about, I don't know if he was absolutely the first one, but the first one that Luke talks about in his text here in Acts uh, is a guy named Philip. And there's going to be a number of stories about Philip. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him very briefly today, although the story uh, revolves around uh, the ministry that he's doing. We'll talk more about Philip in a couple weeks, though, a more famous uh, story about Philip. But I want to I read a little section at the beginning of Acts 8, uh, verses 4 through 8, just to kind of give us some context about Philip preaching in Samaria. So this is Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. All right, that's a great, that's a great kind of introduction to what's happening. Philip is going throughout Samaria preaching, but he's also healing. And, and all these miraculous, amazing events are happening. Uh, but the next story is the one that I want to focus on this morning. So that just kind of gives us the background. Uh, but I just want to read, it. this is one big story here, uh, Acts uh, 8, 9 through 25. So I know it's a big chunk of text, but I just I want to take it in one big chunk and then I'll make a few comments about it. That sound okay? So, so let's, uh, let's start with verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. So this is a different guy. There's a guy named Simon that's kind of a magician of sorts. He boasted that he was someone great. 
And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So it's interesting. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed uh, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So we're, we're tracking with the story so far. There's this magician named Simon who everyone thinks he's awesome. They're even saying that he's the great power of God, which obviously isn't true. And, and when, when Philip comes along and starts proclaiming the true great power of God, everyone's turning their attention from Simon to God, uh, to, the, to the disciples, to the apostles, including Simon himself turns his life over to Jesus, uh, he believes, he baptizes, and, and he it gets baptized, and he starts following. Verse 14, uh, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Uh, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there because uh, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So now a new power comes and is upon these people in Samaria, a power greater than even Simon's. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay. I love Simon. I love I love this story. I love, I, I just think he is such an interesting character in scripture. M maybe I love him because he's a lot like me. Equal part saint and sinner. Uh, following Jesus, yet constantly misunderstanding faithfulness. Humbled by the gospel, yet still pining for fame, power, and prestige. He he is a mixed bag of a person, just like me. Equal parts saint and sinner. Like, Simon obviously had some visions of grandeur, right? He had, he had a desire for stardom. He wanted to be famous, powerful, and rich, pompously proclaiming his own importance. And yet he simultaneously wasn't too high and mighty to hear, to believe, and to be baptized into the good news of Jesus, which I actually find remarkable that a character like Simon, 
who is used to everyone proclaiming him as the great power of God, would have the humility uh, to, to believe, to, to trust, and to be baptized, and be willing to follow someone else. I, I'm actually quite amazed at it. But Simon is still an entertainer. He's still looking for the next great magic trick that will capture the spotlight. Like, he's lost some of his own spotlight, and so when the moment comes, he's like, ooh, this is my chance to get some of that back. And he's willing, uh, when, when he sees the disciples of Jesus doing the marvelous and miraculous through the power of the Holy Spirit, Simon's corrupt desire for riches and fame just kicked back in. Those things come back to the surface, and he's willing to do whatever it takes, including paying up for the stunning showmanship of the Spirit. Like he's willing to do whatever, to kind of recapture the spotlight, to get the power back. Even if he'd be using it on behalf of others, he still wants that power. And maybe you're like me and Simon, where you're kind of a mixed bag of saint and sinner as well. I feel like we're probably all in that boat here this morning. Humble, yet a little prideful, Obedient, yet often inconsistent. Committed to God, blessing the people around me. But I'm still jealous and upset when it actually happens. Uh, I've got a little bit of Simon in me, or or maybe a lot. But I, I I I don't want to demonize Simon too much either. Because he's actually quite admirable and has some things to teach us. I think Simon has gotten a bad rap throughout Christian history. In fact, there was a great heresy in the Middle Ages that was called simony. Uh, And when Martin Luther comes along and he's correcting the abuses of the Catholic Church, namely, or or one of the most important ones, as as being the, the idea that you could buy forgiveness, like from your priest or from the Pope, that idea was called simony. Simon has a bad rap in in church history. One of the great heresies of the church is named after him. And yet, I actually find some things about him kind of admirable. Uh, he's, He's not all good. He's not all admirable. But there are some things that Simon can teach us. In our in our current world that has lost its interest and grown to mistrust anything that reeks of enchantment, the, the magical, the mysterious, of, of the supernatural, the mysterious, that which can't be scientifically explained. We're in a world uh, that, that distrusts and has no interest in anything that can't be explained. I really appreciate Simon's reminder that God is still supernaturally active in our world. Uh, I'm tempted uh, to dismiss anything that kind of reeks of, of like a beyond natural uh, kind of occurrence in our world, uh, and yet I appreciate this reminder from Simon that God still works supernaturally in our world. He, he's still working in ways that make no sense to our modern scientific sensibilities. He still operates on a mysterious and transcendent level. And in fact, Simon reminds us 
that the supernatural nature of God should still be searched for and sought out. We still should be looking for it, paying attention for it, uh, trying to see it. Simon witnesses the spectacular nature of God's presence and, and is so in awe. The text says he is astounded that he begins to follow the disciples everywhere that they go. He'll do whatever it takes to keep, to keep seeing it, to keep experiencing it. He wants more and more of the transcendence of God in his life. And of course, Simon doesn't quite get it. Of course, he's mistaken. He doesn't quite understand what's taking place, the, the nature of the Spirit. And he gets himself rebuked. He gets himself kind of re-educated by the disciples. But I don't think you can fault Simon's eagerness to chase down the divine activity of God in our world. I find it a commendable disposition, actually. Somebody who is looking for the ways in which God is supernaturally active in our world and do, do whatever he can to, to, see, to see more of it. Simon, Simon maybe wants the supernatural work of God in his life for some of the wrong reasons, but I still love and appreciate his desire for more of God's divine, miraculous, unexplainable work in his life. It's admirable. And we would do well to take a lesson from Simon and be equally awed by the wondrous, mysterious, supernatural work of God in our midst each and every day. This world is still mysterious. We don't understand everything. We, we can't scientifically explain everything. There is so much that we still don't comprehend. And the work of God in this world is certainly still mysterious and unexplainable and astounding. So we might misunderstand that mysterious work that God is doing. We might mistheologize about that mysterious work. But God's work should still astound us like it did for Simon. In our efforts to witness and understand the, mis the mystery of God's nature, we, we must fight the urge to view the Spirit of God as some sort of cosmic vending machine where, where we put in our dollar and, and press the prayer button and, and then we get whatever we want out of it. There's, there's unhelpful and harmful ways to think about God's transcendence. But we also need not throw out the beautifully mysterious baby with the misunderstood, misguided bathwater. Like, we, we don't need to throw out all the mystery, all the misunderstanding, all, all the, the supernatural nature of God just because it, it's, it's easy to kind of mistheologize about that. This is a passage, this is a story about the importance of being open to, acknowledging, and embracing the enchantment of God without seeing God as a trite, music, a trite magician or a genie in a bottle. It's about finding a balance there, about being open to God's kind of supernatural activity, but also not seeing God as some sort of divine magician that just gives us what we want as this cosmic magic trick. Now, 
It's not bad to live with a healthy suspicion uh, of the supernatural. Uh, because there are, there are certain theologies, there are, there are certain ways of thinking about the transcendence of God, certain ways of understanding how God operates in the world, certain, certain ways of doing church or faith that I, I don't find helpful uh, or, even, uh, or I even find unbiblical or dangerous. From, from silly things and benign things to outright harmful things. Like, like who's ever prayed for a parking space in a parking lot? Yeah, I probably have too. Uh, who, uh, who's ever seen like a post-game interview, uh, like a football game or something, where the victorious athlete thanks God for helping them with the win? Right? We see this every Sunday, right, for, for football watchers, almost every sport. Uh, if we just finished watching the Olympics. We saw it a million times over. Thank God for helping me run this race or something. Uh, I mean, even just yesterday... I found myself subconsciously whispering a little prayer when I couldn't find my frisbee in the woods after an errant throw playing frisbee golf. Uh, I, I was at the furthest hole, like down the mountain. I'm like kind of tired and I'm searching all over. And in the moment, I'm like, like almost praying, like, please just let me find this. Like it's been 15 minutes now. And then my sermon comes to my mind, like, oh, that's probably not a helpful way of thinking about the supernatural uh, nature of God. Uh, I could be wrong, but I'd guess that God has bigger fish to fry than my lost Frisbee. Uh, or, or who's seen pastors or theologians explain away natural disasters as them being God's vengeance against the, the sins of some person or group? I, there are certain pastors, authors, theologians, where you just know it's coming. Every time a hurricane comes on some country in the Caribbean, like, that dude is going to say something heretical about that's just God's vengeance on them for their godless nature. So, you know, that's not a helpful way of thinking about the supernatural nature of God. And the reality of the world forces us to wrestle with our thoughts on God's supernatural intervention in the world. Like, like, how do we reconcile the fact that believers in Afghanistan are crying out to God for help, and Christians around the world are praying for them as we speak, and, and yet they have been and will be persecuted and killed for their faith, all while life is pretty cushy, for me here in America. Like, like how do we, I, I don't know. I don't know how we reconcile all that together. Uh, obviously, the, the way God's supernatural power actually works can't be explained by some simple and inac inaccurate, inaccurate theology like the prosperity gospel, where all we have to do is name it and claim it, just ask for God's blessing, and we'll have it. Obviously, it's more complex than that. It, it doesn't really make sense to me, and I don't even know uh, how to kind of process those thoughts. D do you all have other examples of unhealthy ways of thinking about God's kind of transcendent 
supernatural power. Are, are there other thoughts that come to mind? Just a couple quick examples. What? Yeah, you can just shout it out. Yeah, kind of like unhelpful, false, inaccurate, harmful, dangerous ways of kind of thinking about the way that God works supernaturally in our world. War providence? Warp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would see that as warped as well, absolutely. Uh, if, if God is just giving or not giving everything, uh, there's... Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, I think we have to work through. Yeah, what is God saying? What's he not? When's he active? When's he not? Like I remember I remember being part of a more charismatic church in in my youth where it was like because that wasn't a part of my background, I was just going to like youth group at this Assemblies of God church. Like I felt like I had to kind of like force the Spirit's presence among me or, or, or on me. And I think I was like often kind of misreading, like, like is, am I feeling the Holy Spirit or do I just have goosebumps on my arm from like a nice song I'm singing? You know, um, yeah, yeah, how do we wrestle with like God's providence? Yeah, good, thank you. Anyone else have an example or Jenny? Yeah. Yeah. All the trite things that get said at a funeral or, or after a death, I think would certainly fall in this kind of camp because it's we're trying to force some sort of uh, unnatural healing, or you know, we're trying to trying to reconcile some things, or trying to say something helpful. But um, usually, in those cases, that's not the way God probably operates in the world. Yeah, good example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. Right, no, helpful, helpful comment. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's what I'm getting at when I'm saying it's okay to have kind of a healthy suspicion. Like, to, to test things, to, uh, to, yeah, to, uh, to not just take every, everything at, at face value there. Um, yeah, Effie. Lovely, lovely, like it. Uh, and, then, and then most of my suspicion of the supernatural just comes from the fact that I live in a world that sees very little need for God's divine inter intervention. We, we, again, like I kind of hinted at earlier, we are modern, enlightened people who think we can rationally and reasonably understand almost everything. Our, our modern medicine has almost entirely removed the need for miracles. Our modern science has basically done away with an appreciation of doubt and wonder. Uh, the fact that each one of us carries with us in our pocket or purse a miniature computer with access to more information than we could ever utilize in a million years means that we have no space in our lives for the unknown or the mysterious because we can just Google the mysterious right out of our lives. We can just search uh, the mysterious right out of our lives. But the fact that there are unhealthy ways of thinking about God's supernatural work in the world doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Just because our modern sensibilities and our modern world tell us there's no need for the mysterious or the miraculous doesn't mean that, stop, that God has stopped working supernaturally. It, it's unhelpful to completely write off anything supernatural, non-scientific, unprovable, enchanted, however we want to talk about it, just because we don't understand it. Because God absolutely still works in mysterious, unexplainable ways and I'd hate to miss God's supernatural work in our world because of my modernistic cynicism and skepticism or, or my frustration with unhealthy and unhelpful theologies about God's divine interaction with the world. I think that we see God working in this sort of mysterious supernatural way 
all the time, from, from kind of simple things to way more complex. Uh, I've, I've seen it even just in little ways, like in our community, where, where we're a 130-year-old church that's been First Baptist Church for our entire existence, but when myself and the leadership team throws out the potential of, of a name change, like, you all have been, like, really kind and generous and basically on board with the idea. And, and I have a hard time seeing that as anything other than God is, like, supernaturally at work. Uh, that he's been, like, working in our midst and bringing us to a place. And he's been working behind the scenes in kind of mysterious ways. And he's been uniting us as a body where, where even if we're not totally on board, like, like these are our brothers and sisters in Christ where he's been shaping our hearts for outreach to those who aren't in our midst here. And so then when we bring this idea that, that maybe isn't our favorite idea, but there's an opportunity to reach out to the community with the good news of Jesus, like people are, are more on board with it because God's been, been working and shaping and, and forming uh, your hearts over the years. I see it as God's supernatural intervention. Uh, I, I think about the crazy amount of little things that had to happen for me to be the pastor of this church right now. Like all these little tiny things, uh, uh, working at camp for Gary for a couple years so I actually knew him and, and, and all, you know, exactly when I graduated from seminary was when Gary needed someone and, and Chris Dooley said, you, you should bring Jason out to camp. There's just all these tiny little things uh, that, that brought me to this place. And even once we get here to Bozeman, all the little things that had to fall into place just exactly right. And I don't, I'm not saying that God is puppeteering every little part of my life. I, I don't think that's a helpful way of thinking about it either. But I do think that God was, was working for the good and was piecing things together and bringing about some things uh, uh, that, that, that were good for us. I, I have a friend I was sitting uh, at, at dinner with the other night, and he's in a, a new relationship, uh, and, and he's just kind of, uh, as I think about his story, uh, he's been searching for someone for so long and working all these channels and trying online dating and just a million first dates and, and all this thing, all these things. And yet this person that he's with now that they're pretty serious and, and it might just work out. Like there's all these things where it just, it just kind of fell into place. And, and I wonder if, if God's not working and doing some things to prepare uh, uh, my friend to, to be ready for this relationship that was actually just right. I, uh, I was sitting with someone, he, he's not uh, a member of our church, uh, but just, just a couple weeks ago, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and somebody, somebody I had kind of known, just an, an acquaintance, but, but he had reached out to me uh, kind of out of the blue and, and said he'd like to have uh, lunch with me, and, and as we're sitting there, uh, he tells me that he's an alcoholic and he's trying to get help and and the way he's explaining it he's just saying like I never talked to anyone about any of this kind of stuff like like my wife is the only person who knows this about me basically and I don't tell anyone and for some reason I just felt like I needed to tell you someone and I could tell you and so I'm just telling you and I, I can't believe I'm doing it and and as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, 
Well, of course, because God's working supernaturally in your life. He's bringing, he's bringing, he, his spirit is working uh, in, in your midst and, and prompting things and leading you to certain people. And uh, uh, he, he, he felt that there was some sort of supernatural Holy Spirit-led nudge uh, to do this. Uh, I, I find God working in mysterious ways all the time. And, and I, know, I know we're kind of running late, but man, I'd love to hear from any of you. If, if there's a couple people that have like any stories in your life, real quick, real quick stories or, or times, especially lately, where you feel like God uh, has been working, moving uh, in, in mysterious ways that if you would have been in charge, they probably wouldn't have worked that way. Uh, anyone? Yeah, yeah, and again, I, I don't know if God puppeteers those kind of things. I don't think God threw your friends back out. You know, that doesn't seem like a helpful way of thinking about God's supernatural activity, and, and yet he's always working together things for the good. He, he's not working the good. I don't, I don't think he's forcing things. I, I don't think he's, yeah, he's controlling, manipulating all things, but I think he's always mysteriously at work like oh i can i can use this opportunity to connect to people absolutely absolutely i think god works in that sort of mysterious way yeah so so i can't believe i'm saying this as an educated and privileged person in the modern world or or even as a pretty non-charismatic almost anti-pentecostal baptist but I'm inviting us to expect and embrace the mysterious, miraculous, supernatural work of God in our world. I know it's pretty easy to ignore or to write off or to be suspect uh, of anything that doesn't make rational sense, but that's the way that God works. He works in irrational, unreasonable, unexpected ways. His ways will baffle the ways of the world. Like they, they don't always make sense to our world. Uh, as Bono would say, he moves in mysterious ways. Right? It, and there, there are unhealthy, trite, or harmful ways to think about God's supernatural action, but that doesn't mean that God's not acting supernaturally. So let's be willing 
to be enchanted by God, to be caught up, to be astounded in the beautiful mystery of God. Let's pay attention for ways in which the work of the Spirit is resonating deeply within our very bodies. Let's be open to the mysterious and marvelous work of God in our lives and in the world, because when God shows up, in, up supernaturally in our lives and we notice it and embrace it, we can't help but be formed as the people of God. And, and that's the goal, right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your supernatural act, actions in the world, that, that you are still at work, that you are still doing things that don't make sense to us, and, and yet we, we see your movement. We sense your spirit. Help us to do that on a more regular basis, that as we walk and move and, and, and live and have our being here on this earth, uh, that we would be constantly caught up, constantly overwhelmed, constantly astounded by the miraculous, the mysterious. H help us to note all the subtle ways that you do it and to give you praise, to give you thanks. Help, it, uh, help those things to lead us uh, into worship uh, because they ought to, because you are an astounding God that works in, in beautiful,